Welcome to CCC's podcast series. I'm Christopher Keneally for Velocity of Content. It's Friday, March 17th, 2023. Today, as we do each week, we check in with Publishers Weekly on news from the world of books and publishing. Andrew Albanese, PW Senior Writer, joins me today from New York City. Welcome back to the program, Andrew. Hey there, Chris. This week, we learned that a legendary defender of free speech is retiring. Christopher Finan, National Coalition Against Censorship Executive Director, will soon leave his post. Yes, and released this week, we learned that Chris Finan has confirmed that he is going to retire this summer after what really has been a celebrated career in the service of free expression and First Amendment rights. Uh, in the statement, the National Coalition Against Censorship Board President Emily Knox noted that Chris has been a leader in free speech for more than four decades, defending the rights of authors and booksellers and librarians and readers and students. And she praised uh, Finan for strengthening the NCAC's reputation as a, quote, first responder to censorship. Before joining the NCAC in 2017, he served for years as president of the American Booksellers Foundation for Free Expression. Uh, and before that, he was the executive director of the Media Coalition, which is a trade association that defends uh, the free speech rights of producers and distributors. Uh, and before he goes, in May, uh, Chris Finan is going to receive the Authors Guild Foundation Award for defending free speech, free speech and expression, excuse me, a well-deserved honor. Uh, now, we have a piece on the PW site about Chris's departure, and you can read all about Chris, and there's some links in there to link back to Chris's work over the years. I guess I throw all, all there is for me to say here is that we really all owe Chris a debt of gratitude for his work in defense of our freedoms. And he's stepping down, of course, in the midst of an unprecedented attack on the freedom to read. And perhaps more concerning, uh, most concerning, is this wave of legislation that's threatening to prosecute or at least put librarians and teachers in the crosshairs for prosecution simply for making books available to kids and students. It's a subject that uh, Chris Finan wrote about for PW in a soapbox editorial last fall, and I want to quote from that here. For those of us who cherish the freedom to read, the current wave of attacks on books in schools and libraries is disheartening. For the teachers and librarians on the front lines, it is far worse, Finan wrote. They are being attacked for choosing books that reflect the needs of their students and patrons. They are accused of grooming children for sexual abuse or indoctrinating them with allegedly anti-American ideas about race. In the face of these threats, many are considering leaving the profession they love. All of that true. And he wound up that piece by urging readers not to be deterred, noting that Americans have successfully been fighting for the freedom to read for over a century. Uh, the long history of book banning in America gives us reason to hope that the freedom to read will prevail, he wrote, but only if we fight for it. And fight for it, we will. And for a career spent doing just that, fighting for the freedom to read, thank you to Chris Finan. Pat Schroeder, who served in the U.S. House of Representatives and was a longtime president and CEO with the Association of American Publishers, died on Monday at the age of 82. Yeah, condolences to the family of Pat Schroeder and to her extended publishing family as well. The former congresswoman leaves behind a remarkable legacy in American politics and in the publishing business. Uh, again, you can also read a, an obit for Pat Schroeder on the PW website. It's just a little glimpse at her remarkable career, which included, of course, 
joining the AAP in 1997 after a distinguished career in Congress, where among her achievements, she was a progressive champion and a fierce advocate for women. Uh, she joined the AAP as the internet was challenging the publishing business, including Google's decision in 2004 to begin scanning library books for its massive search engine. Uh, the AAP, of course, coordinated a lawsuit with other plaintiffs to stop the program, uh, alleging that Google was seeking to make millions of dollars freeloading off the talent and property of authors and publishers, this according to a statement from the AAP at the time. Of course, Google ultimately prevailed in the litigation, uh, but not until after Schroeder had retired and had recruited her successor, Maine Congressman Tom Allen, to replace her. Schroeder was also a firm believer in the freedom to publish and did much to promote reading and intellectual freedom over her career. Uh, on the PWSI, our friend Tina Jordan, who served as AAP vice president for much of Schroeder's time with the organization, uh, offered a really lovely statement for the piece. You know, she recalled Pat Schroeder as an extraordinary person who challenged the status quo to the highest order of our country and our nation. And on a personal note, I'll just add that as a reporter and a publisher during Schroeder's uh, time at the helm of AAP, uh, yeah, she occasionally had opponents on issues, but she really managed to remain universally liked and respected. And more importantly, and I can recall this as a member of media of the media at a couple of events, she always treated people with great respect. Uh, Schroeder was a, was great with the media, of course. I mean, you, you really don't succeed to the level that she did in politics without such skills, but she really had this genuine sense of decency. Uh, and fairness that I think is too often missing or lost today in, in this contentious social media driven political atmosphere. So, you know, happy to remember Pat Schroeder uh, as a groundbreaking leader who really made a difference and leaves behind a formidable legacy. It's been just over a year since the federal judge struck down Maryland's ebook law, finding it to be preempted by the Federal Copyright Act. At the time, Andrew, you predicted that this battle wasn't over and would probably move from the courts back to the legislatures. This week, an alliance of industry partners coordinated by the AAP launched the Protect the Creative Economy Coalition, an effort to combat a new wave of library ebook bills. Yeah, that's right. So I think this is a pretty notable development uh, that comes in response to about, I think, like a half a dozen new measures that have already surfaced in state legislatures in 2023, seeking to regulate the library ebook market uh, as Maryland legislators first did back in 2021. The initial members of the group, of course, include the Association of American Publishers, which have been strong opponents to these bills. Uh, but they're also joined by the American Booksellers Association, the Authors Guild, the National, National Music Publishers Association, uh, the News Media Alliance, the Copyright Alliance, and somewhat surprisingly, the Independent Book Publishers Association. And that's surprising to me a little bit because uh, IBPA members really haven't been in conflict with libraries in the digital market. Most of the indies work well with libraries and license ebook content to libraries on terms uh, that libraries consider to be fair. At the same time, this coalition is sort of framing the issue uh, from the libraries as an attack on copyright. So, of course, indie publishers want to defend copyright and have an interest in defending copyright. Of course, the library community doesn't see the bills that way. They see these bills as an attempt to sort of better balance a digital library marketplace in which libraries have had no power to negotiate prices and terms for ebooks. The coalition comes uh, more than a year after a federal judge in, fe in February of 2022 uh, struck down Maryland's groundbreaking library ebook law, finding that the bill was likely preempted by the Federal Copyright Act and ultimately declaring it unconstitutional. Now, 
a few weeks ago, I wrote about how these bills, with the help of the advocacy group Library Futures, were starting to resurface after the legal defeat in Maryland. Uh, and also in New York, we should mention, where an almost identical bill to Maryland's was vetoed by Governor Kathy Hochul at the end of 21. Anyway, my piece focused on the work of Library Futures, which has devised new language they say can avoid the copyright problem that sunk the Maryland bill. And so far, a few of these new bills in Massachusetts and Hawaii, and just this month, a revised bill in Connecticut, are using some of this new language. Uh, Rhode Island has also introduced a sort of hybrid version, which we won't get into here. But advocates say they expect more bills to come, which I think might help explain why this new coalition is now suiting up to counter these legislative efforts and to try to stop these library ebook bills before they advance. To many observers, the court was clear in its 2022 decision striking down Maryland's ebook law for libraries. So I guess two questions, Andrew. Why would another state pursue that same kind of language in a new bill? And what's different about the revised language that library advocates tell you might get around the copyright issue? Yeah, good question. So I, I think it's important to acknowledge that library advocates are not intending to attack or weaken copyright by standing up these bills. Their intention is, you know, as I said, is to try to bring a little more balance to a marketplace in which prices for digital content is high and in which librarians simply have no leverage to negotiate. Uh, but with their first efforts in Maryland, for example, they missed the mark. They overshot and they wrote a bill that did, according to Judge Deborah Boardman, did cross over and violate the Copyright Act. But to your question, why would a state pursue a bill using language that has already been struck down by a federal court? And we've seen a few bills in states that are using a lot of the Maryland language. And, and talking with library advocates, I think there's a few things in play. But I'll just say this. I don't think that library advocates are angling for another court fight over the Maryland language. One thing I've heard is that the bills using the Maryland language may be placeholders, so they'll possibly be amended. Uh, but I'm not exactly sure. So we'll just have to see what happens with those bills that are based on the Maryland language that was struck down by a federal court. As for the new revised language, it was, as I said, drafted with the help of advocacy group Library Futures, who say that the new bills are designed with a, quote, regulate rather than mandate approach. In other words, Unlike Maryland's law, which would have required publishers to offer license agreements to libraries on reasonable terms for digital books that were available to consumers, the new legislative language uh, offered by Library Futures instead focuses solely on contract terms. At least that's the intention. Uh, for example, key to the revised bill's language is uh, a clause that would render unenforceable license terms that preclude, limit, or restrict libraries from performing their traditional core missions. Now, there's a lot more in these bills, including some proposed pricing caps, all of which people can disagree with. But I think the thing here is that under the new revised language, all of these rules seem to apply to the state, to the licensee, and not to the copyright holder. In other words, if publishers don't like the rules the state has made for how libraries can spend their public dollars, then they can choose not to license their ebooks to libraries. There's no mechanism here in the revised language that would compel the offer of a license as opposed to the Maryland bill and those similar to it, which the court, of course, ultimately found ran afoul of copyright. And look, we can go back and forth about the library ebook market and copyright and the claims that are made on both sides. And I'm sure we probably will talk about this more in the future. Because the issue of you know fairness and equity in the library ebook market is still out there. It doesn't appear to be going away. 
But for today, I think the takeaway from this new coalition launching is that the front line in the library ebook market is sort of back to the legislatures, right? Where the two sides are now sort of, you know, moving from lawyers back to lobbyists for now. At the same time, I'm sure there are lawyers warming up for sure. Uh, Meanwhile, speaking of lawyers warming up, on Monday, uh, a court will hear arguments in a lawsuit filed by four publishers in the AAP over the Internet Archive scanning and lending of print library books. We've talked about that a bunch on this show. Now, that's a whole other issue, and that one is very much squarely about copyright. But however that case turns out, it's probably going to ramp up the tension in the library ebook space even a little bit more. Uh, Anyway, we'll have a report on those arguments next week, so stay tuned. Andrew Albanese, Publishers Weekly Senior Writer, thanks for joining me on the program with your reporting and editorial analysis. My pleasure, as always. Coming up on Velocity of Content, along front lines in the east and south of Ukraine, fierce fighting rages daily. In western Ukraine, a relatively safe region near the Polish border, students and professors have managed to return to classes and labs at Ternopil National Medical University, where they continue investigations on treatments for Lyme disease and other vector-borne diseases. TNMU researchers have found a global outlet for their ongoing work with Science Open, a networking platform specializing in research discovery and impact. This research from Ukraine collaboration makes available more than 11,000 scholarly articles and is a lifeline for Ukrainian researchers. I think it's important for the entire global community to realize that research is still going on in Ukraine and also to highlight the fact that Ukraine is part of a global network, a global community of uh, scientists and researchers, medical students, and not just victims of war, but they really are part of our, let's say, larger body of global research. And we started this collection last year in Berlin as there were floods of refugees coming into the city. We were ourselves, people on the Science Open team were going to the train station, providing um, food and uh, battery packs, old telephones. Um, We had people living uh, up and down in our house. We were inviting people over for dinner. And uh, we still have a lot of those contacts today. And we really were trying to think, what can we do? Um, We're so close to the border. What can we do to support Ukraine? Freeing Research from Ukraine, next on Velocity of Content. That's all for now. Our producer is Jeremy Brisky of Burst Marketing. You can subscribe to the program wherever you go for podcasts, and please do follow us on Twitter and on Facebook. You can also find Velocity of Content on YouTube as part of the CCC channel. I'm Christopher Keneally. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.